It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I don't give a fuck. So hello and welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll. I'm joined again this week by a man back from his cricketing tour. So he's seen more corgi balls than the Queen's vets or Newt as the dogs. Ryan Wally's with me. How are you doing, Wall? Yeah, good. Glad to be back, mate, actually. Looking forward to um, chewing the fat over some games that we haven't chatted about yet and some <clears throat> news that's gone on in the rugby world in the last couple of weeks. And also joining us, a man who loves rugby, loves cycling, and he's got as many golden jerseys as Lance Armstrong and as many World Cup final appearances as the rest of the Irish team. Rory Boyd is with us. How are you doing, Rory? Yeah, I'm all right, though. You've just hurt me very deeply. <laughs> I, I never won the tour of Luxembourg like Lance did though so you know and that's the big one that everyone wants it's all he's got left <laughs> that and the, the fucking millions of dollars oh yeah the massive host and luxury lifestyle yeah and a successful podcast which is what everyone wants well it's, it's what we've been striving for has he still got a rock star wife I don't think, I think so. so no well there we go Happens to the best of us. Cheryl uh, Crow available. Cheryl no, no, isn't it? Huh? It's Cheryl no, no, isn't it? Not Cheryl oh, Crow. Jesus Christ. We set the <laughs> we set the bar low earlier, we <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, how's your week week? Oh, oh fucking hell. <laughs> how's your how's your week week? How's your week been, Rory? Uh I'm very tired. I went on holiday and somehow came back more tired than I was when I when I left. Oh, by the way. I've just had a I've had a week off work and yeah, I'm fucked. I uh I had a particularly uh stressful trip to Mumbles down Swansea because we got there and we ordered ice cream and I turned around and went, What's, what what was that noise? And everyone was like, No, there was, there was nothing. And I was like, Are you sure? Because there's people screaming. Uh and it turns out the bus had twatted itself into a tree. And it was already an open top bus. It was slightly more of an open top bus than when it started. I saw the picture of that, that's disgusting, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, I was I was hundred yards from it. I was outside Verdi's eating ice cream, 
Um, and then we decided after all the thing and the ambulances and then the uh, air ambulance that came in and landed on the beach, I decided to take the kids bodyboarding. So we walked down to the pier and down the steps and the fucking tide was out. So <laughs> it's hard at the bodyboard on gravel or easier, I suppose, depending on how you want to look at it. So, uh, yeah, we walked up to a lighthouse instead. That was our, our successful trip to the Mumbles. I just say you went to birdies and not Joe's. Yeah, yeah. Down the Mumbles, I'm a birdies guy. I think because as well, now you can go to Joe's in Cardiff. There's more Joe's about now. There's only one birdies. Still Joe's for me, mate. Uh, anyway, for the people who don't live in South Wales, and that's a very niche conversation to have. We'll move on. Is this some kind of warring tribe of ice cream makers? No, it's just very Jones much is just so. incredible and was only ever in Swansea and you had to go to Swansea or Mumbles to get it. And now they've got shops. If you're caught with the wrong it. shop's ice cream, do you end up with a horse's head in your bed? <laughs> yeah, but coming in sprinkles. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was blood, this raspberry ripley sauce. I know, that's just Sidolis and murder. Well, that's the link. That's the rugby link. It is. The Sidolis. Anyway, moving fucking swiftly on into some news. Um, the most important bit of rugby news since we were last on, Hugo Monia's on Strictly, yep. officially. Are we excited? Are we, are we expecting Hugo to bust some moves? What are we expecting? <laughs> I struggled there. I realised it's audio. That's not going to help. Um, I don't think I've watched Strictly Come Dancing since Darren Goff won. So, you know, I'm not really a big TV guy. But I thought that Ugo had some sort of chronic groin problem that dancing doesn't sound like it would help. Uh, but, you know. That's a very good point. I'm sure he's thought about this before. He's not going to get to it and suddenly go, oh, wait, no, I can't move my leg. Oh, oh, oh yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> turning up to the first day of, of that was dance practice dance training dance coaching all of the above care? all of the above and then just going oh fuck yeah remember that's why he goes everywhere on a skateboard yeah but can i still get paid even... is that right yeah huh come on, but can i still get paid i can't yeah. dance but can i just get paid <laughs> so there's been a few rugby players on this before haven't there i'm not a big uh <clears throat> strictly fan did austin Eady do this yeah one of the Evans brothers, I think, because the other one did the skating one. That's right. Gavin Matt Dawson's on every program, isn't he? Gavin Inson's done it. Did Matt Dawson do it? Yes, he has. This I can feel like there's a quiz building for next week on this. <laughs> I've got my answers already. Um, Kenny Logan? Kenny Logan. Kenny Logan and yeah. Gabby, I think, did it as well. Technically a rugby player. Yeah, I think so. the connection. Didn't they do it? Did they do it the same year? I don't know. They might, no, I think they did, actually, yeah. I think they did. I think Kenny just wanted to keep an eye because of the case of Strictly. He was worried that Aliash, that's a name <laughs> I've learned. <laughs> so, Rory, if you haven't watched Strictly since then, is it, are you more inclined to watch Strictly now that he was involved? Not really. Exactly the answer I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting to have to explain who is my mum. That's really the level of uh, interest it has in me. He's also, he's one of the new captains on Question of Sport, isn't he? He is, yeah. So this seems a bit like a cynical ploy for the fact that most people don't watch rugby, so they get to know who Hugo Monier is before the new Question of Sport launches. Because he's quite a likeable guy. I say quite, he's a very likeable guy. Mm -hmm. 
So do you think this is just a ploy to get the booster ratings for Question of Sport? They go, remember him, he was the good one in, in Strictly who everyone liked. Isn't that how a lot of these reality shows work? They're like all cross-promotion? Yeah, Because I know X Factor so. had a thing where they could only play music that Simon Cowell owned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that no, is true. There was a rule on that, but there definitely was, yeah. So I imagine being on another sort of BBC programme would help for the marketing generally. And they were just like, yeah, get as many people from BBC on. None of this ITV people. Don't want ITV on. Get us, ca- get us our own. Just, yeah, just a full, like a, the golden handshake. He'll be on the one show next. <laughs> oh, he probably will be on the one show next, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, whereas Gavin Ensign went the complete opposite way and tried to take over reality TV at one point and tried to be in everything. I just remembered another rugby player. A rugby player or one that's been on Strictly? Or you just remembered a rugby player? No, it's been on Strictly. <laughs> Grant Fox, remember him? No. <laughs> ben Cohen. <laughs> because Ben Cohen ended up getting with one of the dancers and a baby there as well. I think. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I honestly, this is Emily will try to make me watch Strictly. I'll get maybe three episodes in, and then I'll be done. I they'll, they'll put it. How is he going to do it with BT? Is there not going to be a game on at the time? You'll probably have to. He'll probably be. They pack the games on the Friday or Sunday only. And then he won't be at the games on the Saturday. What about European weekends? I'm overthinking this. I'm not his fucking PA. I don't need to worry about <laughs> this. I'm just not do, putting just, his name. He can do his Aries games. Probably not far. Yeah, it won't be far. Yeah, well, and Quinns. He can do Quinns games, can't he? I don't sure know. Getting across about. South London is difficult. <laughs> but he, <laughs> On his skateboard, he'll be fine. <laughs> That's the title for the pod. How will you? How will you go manage? Oh, this is a this is a, a platform game waiting to be made. <laughs> Remember on on BBC Sport when they used to have those little click games that you could play. Oh, yeah. Denise Lewis have Taflon. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine just a game where you've just got to get Ugo Monia from the from Strictly to the BT studios, or to the Stoop in rush hour traffic in London. Tell you what, though, I was going to. How's he going to manage on Blackpool week? That's the problem, isn't it? Oh, my God. Well, it's all right, because I've seen a map. It's all downhill. So that escape <laughs> will be fine. <laughs> That's how it works, isn't it? It's all stuff. So anyway, who goes on Strictly? <laughs> uh, another piece of news that has sort of reared his head again is that uh, there's been a few ex-Lions players that have called for the end of tactical substitutions the idea obviously being that well in Lehman's terms it'll make people fucking knackered and so people are not going to try and smash each other and people are not going to be training to just be fit for 50 minutes they'll have to train to be fit for 80 minutes and sort of slim down a little bit rather than welcome up into the fucking mammoths they are now do we think it'll work do we agree with it? Do we not agree with it? I'm on the fence. I'd like to know what... I'd like to see they're working because... Mm. I, I get the idea of, like, we don't want Winnie Antonio and Joe Takori being the default rugby player of just this man that is so big he can move for 25 minutes but no more. Um, but I also... 
don't know where like first of all just generally like how do you adjudicate this how do you make it make it safe uh but is it more dangerous to have skinny tired people or heavy fresh people that's kind of the yeah and i don't know but i'm I'm, a science man i'm kind of at that point because like one of the things that we're always trained for is you train to not make mistakes when you're tired because you're more likely to make a mistake when you're tired because obviously you're mentally exhausted while you're being physically exhausted so if you're going into a tackle and suddenly you're a little bit so your head's on the wrong side you're perhaps not as low as you should be because you're fucking exhausted then surely we're putting players in more dangerous positions the other issue I've got is massive fucking players who are playing full 80 minutes anyway like Jamie Roberts playing for Wales at this peak we're still running down people's channels for 80 minutes. Damien Dialende, now we're still smashing people and running at people for 80 minutes. Sam Burgess, when he was here, was still smashing people for 80 minutes. Like, inside centres, outside centres especially, are not fucking small by any means, and they're tackling just as hard as any of these fucking massive brutes that we, they seem to be talking about in the second row, in the back row. And we've got plenty of back row players. Like, generally, teams are only picking one back row player anyway. So surely we're seeing a game where two back row players are playing 80 minutes and still hitting people fucking hard. Yeah, I think it's almost entirely to say props need to stop being a 45-minute job. Yeah. And it's like, it's not about any position past maybe number five where they just like, you keep picking these guys who clearly are not fit enough to play the whole game and tactically taking them off early. You know, like when you think about the hooker, the hooker is a 50-minute position now. There's no hookers that play the whole game. Um, except, well, no, not even because Girada doesn't play anymore, for France at least. Uh, like, they just, they always take them off, which lets them be a bit bigger. And I can see if you just, the default is you don't play the whole game, that maybe they will have to be smaller. But I think they're just going to have to show a lot of work because it changes the game quite a lot from a tactical perspective and doesn't necessarily make it better to watch. And And I think if you're going to do something for safety, you kind of have to know that it's actually going to make it safer rather than just guessing. And if you are to pick out players, like they're saying it's a safety issue, but there's not many of those front row players you go, well, he's the massive, he's the guy who puts in the bigots constantly. There's not many of them that are hookers or props. One or two, mm. maybe. But There's a few in France. And the top 14 I mean, is full of them. I th- France have got bigger issues. <laughs> the top 14 needs 15 subs. <laughs> I would, to be fair to them, they need subs because like, they play fucking 60 weeks of the year. So like, they need a break at some point, even if it's mid-match. At some point, they've got to have some time off. Uh, poor fuckers in France. <laughs> we talk about... <laughs> giving people more time off while flogging fucking donkeys in France. And then you get to the end of the season and the, the check's not there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mate, I lost three eyes. <laughs> Give me my money. <laughs> well, what's your view on it? I think it's, it's, there's definitely pros and cons on both in it. You look at it... <clears throat> 
I think if you're if you, if they're gonna just do it purely because they think it's gonna be on a safety safety issue, then like Rory said, you need to show the working out and going. Well, prove it to me. Prove it to me that it's gonna you're doing it for safety reasons. Blah blah blah. But I think I think it allows development as well having a bigger bench. Um, so like you you're gonna look at for example picking a picking an eight man bench now allows you to have a young prop and give him his debut for 20 minutes and not and it not just be the fact that there's a prop playing 30 and 50. Um, same with, like, for example, like um, Adam Beard, when he first broke into the Welsh squad, would have come on as a, as a sub because he's going to break into it, but he's maybe come on for 10 minutes in the game and then was sub again the week after and came on for half an hour or so on or started a game. So I think you're gonna ha- it's going to be less chance for the guys coming up through the academy to sort of feature because if you've got a squad that's Say 30, 35 deep, and there's no injuries or very little injuries because and it's reduced, which is a good thing, obviously. You're not going to get the chances for those players to break through, and then you're going to lose them to lower league clubs or whatever, and, and then potentially not get back into the professional game. And you could have someone that would have been a class international that's not given their chance to make it through. So there's <clears throat> there's an issue there, I think. But like if if in the long run, it's just. If in the long run, I think it's purely done on safety, they need to prove it. But I think I, well. I, think, I actually think eight is, is okay. I have no issue with eight. Um, I think as well, the, the point there about young players coming through, especially those front row players, obviously the safety issue works the other way as well. Because yeah. like you said, you're given a young prop 20 minutes. So what's, what's the alternative if we've got no tactical subs? Is that a young prop's first game will be for a full 80 minutes? Mm-hmm. And then you've got to worry surely about the safety aspect there. That if he's getting ripped apart in a scrum and he's getting smashed about on the pitch, tough shit. You're on there for 80 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, with some young, we've been seeing quite early on. If you 20 minutes you can put up with, 80 minutes is a big fucking step up into into professional level, elite level rugby. So yeah, I suppose we've got to look at the the safety aspects the other way as well. Mm. The better thing to do is try and get them to actually play the rugby or in the game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's 80 minutes and uh, they're playing 25, then they're not going to be tired. No, <laughs> you stop. get them to run Maybe about for an kicking. hour. If you run about for an hour, then you know they'll have to be smaller. So, uh, not like the second test, then no, I think generally the, the Lion series was a, a little bit of an example of how little rugby you can get away with playing. I th- the, it, it was a, the whole thing from before they even took off was uh, a testament to how rugby should never be. <laughs> every, every bit of it. We'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. Um, and then, obviously, massive sports fan that he is, the Archbishop of York waded into international sport this week by saying all the nations in Britain should sing God save the Queen. All big supporters. I mean, I'm a massive Sex Pistols fan, so I was all for it until someone explained it to me. Um, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. I'm, I'm not into it. I get I get why Northern Ireland football sings it, because um, otherwise you have to make a decision. I yeah. just think the less decision-making you have to make around representing Northern Ireland in any international setting is better. Um but no, I think I'm quite happy with the other anthems. 
And I think Eames maybe looked to something else. I've long been an advocate of uh, Pure Shores by All Saints as being Lindsay Lampton. <laughs> <laughs> that, I would love to see that. That should surely be the Lions anthem, no? I mean, the Lions could go with something else. There's lots of... There must be some kind... I'm trying to think. Like, probably something about the Saturdays. What kind of band represents all four countries? That's a that's a ooh, ooh. You don't get you don't get a lot of girls. There's been many bands with bands. A, a, a Scott, an Irish, an English person, and a Welsh person in it. I don't think there is. I, I think maybe not. Lots of jokes, but not yeah. many girl bands. Snow Patrol yeah. have got Irish and Scottish people in. But you don't want Snow Patrol doing your anthem. It depends on how sad it, how sad it gets. Jeez, if if we're seeing that God save the Queen's not uplifted and then we swap it out for Snow Patrol. Look, look, I, just, I just think set fire to the third bar <laughs> sums up Alliance Tour in a traditional <laughs> sense. Get Martha Wainwright in. She could coach the next tour as well. We'll have uh, Atomic Kitten and change them to the Atomic Lions. Oh, well, they'll be sorted. They'll be fine. Gatlin, you're the one in it. That's the song in it. Yeah. <laughs> Kerry Katona can sort out the buffet with the contact she got at Iceland. We'll all be sorted. Entertain the boys with their only fans. Um, well, you you um you actually touched on by my big wanker oh, of the week, Steph. What? You, t- <laughs> you touched on my big wanker of the week, Steph, and touching. Please, please, please put the uh at the end of that word. A little bit more prominently. <laughs> Talk about touching about considering who we're talking about. Um, yeah, I, I just tweeted he well he can get fucked, to be honest. He can really get fucked. Because I, I read just... it and I was So I just <laughs> I'm blown away by that little link there. Don't, don't say know. blown away, like, don't say blown don't away. Don't say blown away. <laughs> <laughs> well, as he as he <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ. I'll never listen to Hall again in the same way again. <laughs> um, Depends on how it is. As, oh, a, <laughs> as a Republican supporter of Welsh independence, I'm against God Save the Queen. I'm not a subscriber to Kerry Katona's only fans, but I will support <laughs> Atomic Kitten <laughs> taking over. And we'll move fucking swiftly on, my guys. <laughs> I we've hit low points before, but fucking hell. The last point we hit before was uh, Kim Jong Un taking over the Scarlets, would it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think Jeffrey Bezos got involved in it somewhere as well. <laughs> yeah, he, he, Jeff Bezos is going to be the new owner of the Pompey, apparently. That was one of the episodes I didn't have a drink on as well. Usually I have at least a couple of beers while we were called. I didn't even have a drink on that one when Patrick was on. And fucking hell did that one. <laughs> so, the rugby championship happened this weekend. It did. <laughs> did it. Uh, Rory, I know you uh, you watched the games. Yeah. Um, it's rugby. It's uh, very it similar is- to the rugby you've seen before. <laughs> the results are very similar as well. Yeah. The rugby championships predictability does make it somewhat hard to talk about. There was that one year when uh, Radiki Samo was good and somehow Australia won. Well, and 
I, I meant this because like was it last year that Argentina sprung yes phrases that was a good that was a, a vintage year that was a good year if you play all the games in a stadium that didn't exist before the world ended then you get interesting <laughs> results <laughs> that's all we need to do yeah and what we learned is uh, from Argentina if you train in the dining room of your hotel it makes you a better team that's more effective than whatever they've been doing recently Probably like using pitches and grass. Yeah, not putting their fathers on the roof to chuck a ball at. Yeah. I mean, who hasn't trained by throwing a ball at their father on the roof? That's uh, it's old school. <laughs> um, I, I genuinely am struggling to find anything I care about from this week's rugby championship. Like, it, we, there was a glimmer of hope for Australia the week before, and then there was crushing reality this week. Yeah, it was very funny. I watched the New Zealand-Australia game after I knew what the result was, and all of the build-up was last week was very disappointing, but this is their chance. This is you know They're going to do it this time. And then you watch it, and you're like, oh, this is really close. How did they lose by so much? And it's just like, oh, because they keep just making mistakes in New Zealand score. Like, I have a hot take, which is that New Zealand and Africa play the same rugby. Yeah. And they're just good at different bits of it, but they're, all they do is just say, look, you have the ball. Uh, we'll wait for you to mess up. And then we're going to score from here, whatever happens. <laughs> and Australia just mess up all the time. And New Zealand go and score from wherever they get the ball. Well, I think as well, that was the issue the week before, was Australia made the same mistakes, but the All Blacks were a little bit shit as well. And they made a few mistakes and all, and so we just evened each other out, so it looked like a close game. And then this week, the All Blacks went, like, come on, let's just take it fucking seriously, now we've got a game under our belt. And they didn't make mistakes anymore. It's like playing against your dad, where you know you know he's going to beat you eventually because there's like you're nine years old and this is a grown man. But at some point, like you, as you get better, he just shows a little bit more that oh, sorry, I can gonna have to do this to beat you this time. Uh, and you always think, oh, I'm very, very close this time. And then somehow next week it turns out that he was playing with a different hand. Um, <laughs> like, like, like when you go on holidays and play pool against each other but yeah. in the hotel. First game, just goes easy on you. You still lose because you don't know how to, you're not tall enough to play over the table. Um, second game, you work out what he's doing, you're doing, and he works out what he's doing too. And it just keeps going. And uh, how long has it been since Australia won the Bears Cup now? Like, 84 years. Yeah, something <laughs> longer than longer than Australia years. has been independent, I think, is the... <laughs> last, last time, Captain Cook was on the wing for Australia. The last yeah. Time New Zealand was still invited to join the Union at that point. <laughs> they had a player amid the Great Emu War was the... <laughs> The trouble. <laughs> that, oh, that is one of my favourite Wikipedia deep dives. It, it's unbelievable. There's never been a greater moment in history. In no the, wonder the, this. No wonder this sort of two playmaker system is not working for them if they can't hit an emu. <laughs> <laughs> that Rico Ioani is better at rugby than an emu. That's really the the level we're talking here. What they need is somebody like Quay Cooper, but apparently he's not Australian, so. 
Yeah. Yeah, but they've tried that 70 times before. <laughs> Didn't work. But, it. Is this just a ploy to get Quade Cooper a passport? <laughs> this feels like that's all it is. Like someone's gone, right, just call him up until they fucking say yes. The poor bastards. He just wants to live here. That's all it is. He just wants to stay. Can we yeah. just keep capping him until they go, all right, then. Yeah. Let him witness the players low cap and then they'll give him a passport. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> New Zealand not going to let him. Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's what they need to do. New, Ze- New Zealand need to make Quade Cooper stateless so Australia take him in. <laughs> you know, just break international law to help this man live where he wants to live. I can't wait to see Quade Cooper turn up at the Olympics for the refugee team. That's what we all want. <laughs> Quade Cooper trying to paddle across the Tasman on a fucking. He ain't never getting into Australia that way. On a punctured Lalo, just peddling his little fucking heart out. Anything just to be accepted as an Australian. I, I don't like, I politically, I think we're all quite close together. But I think the evidence that a points based system doesn't work is that when a man who's physically scored points on international level doesn't have enough fucking points to get into the country that he represented. I just think it's a damning indictment of the Australian rugby team as a whole that playing for them is not considered of benefit for Australia. (laughs) To be fair, I think it's quite fair that anyone who's played for Australia, they went, yeah, you've not benefited Australian culture in any sort of way. We've watched the fucking rugby championship. You've made it worse. Maybe it was that Ruckley route he did for the sevens. Remember that one when he goes arse of a tit straight over someone? Maybe they, maybe it's that gif. They've watched that gif as much as I have. And they went, no, nah, it's not happening, pal. It's not on. He's genuinely scored 154 points for Australia. And that's but how many, did he, how many did he score in his visa test? Probably less. <laughs> I don't know how many points he needs. 155. <laughs> It was one hit of the post away. Yeah. It was that one game. It was that one <laughs> game when he got subbed off and Curtie Bleak being hit the fucking penalty against Wales. That's what done it for him. I just remember there was a year I played fantasy super rugby and uh, he was my 10 for the whole year. Um, and it was going brilliantly. And then the last game, like we got to the playoffs and uh, the Rebels were playing against the Crusaders and I still had him in my team. Uh, and uh, they lost by about 60 points. I was like, okay, Quaid, you... You've taken me this far, but now you've ruined my entire year. Well done. Uh, I think that's probably where they feel. You know, if he'd scored some points in that game, maybe he'd be an Australian he, citizen now. He, he was one drop goal away yeah. from me, from entry. Even just the try assist maybe would have done it. <laughs> oh, but a, a try assist doesn't give him any points, does it? So it uh, doesn't count. So we're all agreed that the rugby championship is started. We're not that bothered yet. Like, when Again, I, I watch it. Spring box, that's, that's when it's going to kick off. Yeah. That's what we're all waiting for. Someone has to play rugby then. Yeah. Because if they just kick, kick, kick into the other team, then eventually like Franz Malherb is going to sit on the ball like it's an egg and see if it hatches. <laughs> I tell you what is weird, though, about the rugby championship is because of uh, various misdemeanours in other Are Australia the good guys now? 
I think by default, Australia have become the good guys, despite not letting Quade Cooper in. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. You've got, you've got Argentina and their former captain. Yeah. You've got South Africa and what's gone on with everything recently and yeah, Razzie and, and all that stuff. And then New Zealand, obviously, ignoring... They're two dickheads over the dick. Yeah, they're two dickheads over the dick. No dickhead policy. Mm. So, so suddenly, Australia have become the good guys. I'm not... This... It's like in wrestling, when someone you've hated for fucking years suddenly comes in and out of the rock, and now all of a sudden you've got a he's the good guy. I think it's very very hard to hate this Australia team because they just lose too often. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, the teams I really hate are the ones that win every time, and like Australia, they play a game. You go, oh, they probably lose this one. Yeah, like, there's a certain, certain level of pathos towards it that makes them difficult to, to truly hate. Yeah, I mean. Certain individuals being selected could do that, um, but you know when the greatest misdemeanor in their current squad is that like Corin Betty stayed up like twenty minutes past his bedtime or something. <laughs> it's really it's really not enough to be yeah I don't like these guys. And they're trying their hardest. They're just not very good. <laughs> not even good enough to be unlikable. That's probably the tragedy. I think like the Australian cricket team has the same thing. Where it's like. No one even hates us anymore. What are we doing wrong? I mean, I do, Wally's still still hating by cricket today. No, no. Especially after making fantastic predictions. Yep. <laughs> it nearly came true. I was about eight, seven, eight hours away from getting it, making it true. What's the... I, I'm going to pray. I know I brought it up before we started recording, but I believe you said, this is what I hate. I love cricket, but I don't see the point in these. We know it's going to be a draw. Why not just call her a draw now? And then That's England, not what I said, is it? England fucking collapsed. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't what I said, was it? There was a declare a collapse and it was all done. <clears throat> that wasn't what I said, surely. Oh, that, well, wasn't, I, that wasn't word for word quoting, was it? It wasn't word for word, but it was it was pretty damn close. <laughs> You'd struggle to sue him for defamation. See, I enjoy cricket, but it's gone 3 p.m. on the last day of a test. India won't get seven wickets, and England England won't get the runs needed. Call it a draw. Well, I mean, one of those things happened. Yeah. One of those things definitely. Yeah. yeah. It was it was fantastic. I tell you as, what, though, as it, wickets it, it, were falling, I was like, at what point do I? At what point do I reply to this? At what point do I reply to this? I've just realised, had Quade Cooper's points been added on to England's runs, they would have got there. So <laughs> we'll call it a victory. Yeah? Does he get British citizenship then? Yeah, crack on him. I can't do with another uh, Flay 10 available for a Lions tour in four years' time. <laughs> As if he'd still be going by then. He'll still be going. He'll never give up, Paul Quaid. Oh, yeah, he stopped running, doesn't he? So he just stands still near the rock. And, uh, yeah. He still has all the flair, but just without any movement. Yeah, backs, they're called. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> they're called. Shall we move on to the Lions? It's been a while since no, we last one, recorded. One last thing, serious oh. note, while we're talking Australian rugby players, Tota Kefu. Shocking, 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 shocking incident to happen. Yeah. Um, obviously, just hope that everything gets better and he pulls through. So, do you want to go into what's happened? Well, well I'm yeah, cat. him and his family have been attacked and he's been stabbed multiple times in Australia, isn't he? He's in life's pop machine, I believe. Um, I believe there's someone being arrested and there's a young kid, I think. 
there's uh, there's two 15 year olds have been arrested. Uh, apparently, he woke up to somebody trying to steal his car. Mm. Um, he's been been stabbed numerous times. Uh, his daughter, his wife, and his son also have injuries from it. So yeah, hopefully uh, a quick recovery for them all. It's, it's going to be it's a horrific incident. It, it's mm-hmm. absolutely awful. But uh, yeah, hopefully they said a quick recovery for them all. Sort of physically and, and mentally, with all the the after effects that that's going to take on, no doubt. So, yeah, absolute shit news to, to see this morning. Yep. So, we'll move on to the Lion series. Uh, a bit delayed, as opposed to everyone else has done a full breakdown of exactly what happened in the Lion series, and I took a week off. So, yeah, and I but, was busy, so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, you were busy. I was in the mumbles trying to attach roofs back on buses. Um, I've, I've used Lego before, I've got experience. So, shall we look at, like, I said to you before this, this tour started, I'm at best ambivalent towards Lions tours, and I've been that way for some time. But sometimes they really grasp me and they draw me in. And by the end, I'm I'm fully engaged. I was not fully engaged <laughs> in almost all of this tour. The the most excited I got was when Razi went fucking off his tree and, and released an hour long video ranting and then claimed that he didn't mean for it to go to the media, even though he clearly says in the video <laughs> I mean, that's that's the most disappointing thing about the whole the whole tour mm-hmm. is that Rassi didn't try hard enough to make sure that he had plausible deniability there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if he'd have just put a little bit more effort into making it clear that he didn't think this was going to leak, despite obviously emailing it out to everybody. Yeah, um, and saying in the video, everyone who watches this in the media. <laughs> <laughs> this is not this... for anyone except you. I uh, can't remember his name. The guy that runs all the referees, Yuri something in it. Um, this is not for uh, this, this is not for anyone except you. You're the only man who's ever going to see this, so I can be very specific and very mean about everybody else in the world because they're not going to see this, and there's no way anyone's going to see this, and they're not constantly referenced. But if anyone sees this, you know, I will happily step aside. Like it just that's all I wanted from him was to just be a little bit more. Even uh, after he had said it, we we know we can use editing software. We've already seen it on Yakko Yohan's Twitter account. We know he knows how to edit videos. Just edit it out. It was fine. Well, yeah, that's the other thing as well. It's clearly just, he's just sat there. He's gone, eh, not going to do any post on this. Just send it out. <laughs> it was, it's fair to say he was a bizarre tour. It started being bizarre when a plague hit. And we didn't know what was going to happen anyway. Which I think is a first for a Lions tour. I'm not sure, but I don't think it's been played through a plague before. Especially no. not a plague in one of the countries who were hosting, at least. No, because the Spanish flu was during the Second First World War, wasn't it? So they hadn't. Uh, yeah. They probably weren't touring at that time. They were it, busy it, getting shot in Gallipoli or something. Unless you count Ronan O'Gara being the second choice 10 in 2009 as a plague, but no. Well, I'll move on to, to <laughs> fucking Rog later as well. Because there's, there's one of my picks for this fucking week. 
I take it from the uh, the tones used in this conversation, we all didn't quite enjoy the tour like we thought we would. I well, think I think I enjoyed it. Like I, I okay, I enjoyed the two hundred and forty minutes of nominally rugby that was on display. Um, the rest of it was exhausting. But I like that's the kind of rugby I like to watch, so I was happy with it. <laughs> and I wasn't particularly fussed about the result. Like I think I've said several times on Twitter, like I still didn't really know who I wanted to win until the last minute of the game, and I still wasn't sure then because I'm just sort of the lions don't grab me in that way. Um but yeah, just like all the stuff in between, all the selections, all the like all the silly games they played before the before the tests where it's like, yeah, of course they're winning 54-12 or whatever because these guys are specifically the only... They're, they're the only guys that can't get a contract in Europe and aren't in the Springboks team. They're not going to be yeah. that good. <laughs> like, it's it's just the whole... that All that stuff seemed like a waste of time. Uh, they were the cast-offs from the Southern Kings. There was that, <laughs> yeah. There was that funny afternoon when uh, I came home and just read all my WhatsApp messages and was like, the entire Lions team has COVID. There is one back on the bench. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah that's that's funny. <laughs> yeah. But the rest of it, like, it just... Like, I know why it happened because these things do happen and there's money involved and the players seem to enjoy it. But I didn't need to know it happened. <laughs> well, like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't ever particularly feel British. Like I'm Welsh, I never, I would never describe describe myself as, as British, ever. What about so the I, airport when they ask what queue you're getting? I, 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 I would just stand with everyone else. I, this, I, I, I'm never in control of where I go on holiday, when I go on holiday, or where I stand on holiday. I just follow the crowd that I'm with. I'm not a, I'm not a, a good. I'm, Craig Doyle is. If you want rugby men who like holidays, Craig Doyle's your guy. But for me, I'm just going where everyone else is. And and probably Mark Durden Smith, but there's a gag about his mum there somewhere. I, I don't know what that gag is. So, <laughs> so Mark, so Mark Durden Smith, his mum is Judith Chalmers, who was on the holiday programme from like from like the nineties and stuff. Have I just learned this or have I forgot this fact before? Surely I must have known this. I haven't just learned this now, surely. I only found out about six, seven years ago. I mean, that's quite a long time, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but, but considering that the holiday program that she was on stopped in probably like mid-90s. I, you, you're talking two World Cups ago, though, because that's how I work out time two World in, sport, in sporting competitions. <laughs> the only way time works. <laughs> well, I, I struggle to think in years a lot of the time because I think in seasons. <laughs> um, are, we, are we sure of this fact? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Mark Durden Smith's mum is Judith Chalmers. I, I, I'm somehow blown away by this, and I don't know why. <laughs> is it definitely the holiday programme and not the other one that was very, very similar, but on a different channel that I can't even remember the name of? Or was there only one holiday programme? Mark, wish you were here. Mark is the only... Yes, wish you were here. That's the... Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mark is the only son of Judith Chalmers and sports commentator Neil Durden Smith. Well, well. So he's he's like Craig Doyle's his pet his parents produced Craig Doyle psychically. 
But then also <laughs> yeah. produced Mark, Mark Dunsmith physically. Well, I'm blown away by this fact. I don't know why. I don't know why this has flummoxed me so much. And, and she's now 85 years old. Oh, I don't know what to do with that fact either. Today. <laughs> Which is the last time Australia won the Blenders Look Cup. <laughs> 85 years ago, yeah. Judith Chalmers is to blame. Judith Chalmers, they call it. Judith Chalmers is the woman in the 84 years years ago gift. <laughs> oh, this has gone completely off the fucking boiler. I, don't, I can't even remember what we were talking about before. Lions. Oh, yeah, the I Lions. feel British. <laughs> and I'm not Irish. So... I don't really give much of a fuck. I don't really care much about the life. I, I, all I wanted to watch was good rugby. I thought the first 20 minutes of the first test was fucking phenomenal. I know there wasn't high score and there wasn't loads of chances. It was intense as fuck. And it was it was exactly what I want from elite level rugby. It, it, I thought it was great. And I thought that the, the Springboks were well on top of half-time in that first test as well. And then... It just all went to shit a bit. It was a bit crap. Yeah, and like I, I, I'm someone who religiously watches all Lions content and stuff, and I look forward to tours and look forward to games and miss cricket games so I could watch the, the build-up games and stuff, whatever. But I, think I would the say whole... as well, that's not a way to judge how much you love something. I would miss cricket for it. No, I mean like ones that I should have been at coaching. I mean like I've just pommed that off to someone else so I can stay at home and watch get watch some of the games. You know, um, I missed a cricket game once because I just drank too many beer specials the night before. Nice. <laughs> the wee stubbies um, from Tesco, obviously. <laughs> but like <clears throat> that whole Razzie thing, to be honest, like put me off the last two te- like last two tests. Like I watched them, <clears throat> and come going into the third test, um, like I was going to the pub for the first time probably to watch rugby, and I was trying to work it out this morning. I reckon the last time I watched a game of rugby genuinely in a pub was probably the Lions tour 12 years ago because I know I didn't I I normally watch them at home with my son or whatever or um, just chilling at home and watching it but um, like even before the game like we were chatting in the public what we think was going to happen and it was a case of like I, I was resigned going into the game knowing that South Africa were probably going to win um, the conversation we had on tour on the Wednesday where we have a um well, because we were away with cricket, we have a South African guy who does a bray on the Wednesday that we were away on tour, and it was incredible. And while we were sitting there having a few beers and having a, having a barbecue, um, we were chatting about what people thought the game was going to be, and I said that there would be two narratives for that game at the weekend. The first being um, Josh Adams getting the winning try because of everything that's gone on Six Nations-wise, he missed the game because of the gender reveal, then he's had the baby and didn't play in the tests, etc. <clears throat> or the second narrative being, as it played out, Mornay Staten coming on and kicking a winning penalty. Um, and exactly, unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. But um, I said to Rory before we started recording the podcast, it's like, as soon as the game finished, it was a case of, oh, well, we lost. Anyone want to be here? Whereas normally, genuinely would be gutted and like, wouldn't we'd, we'd probably be throwing toys toys at the pram and stuff, but it was just a case of like, well, that's done now. Like in previous tours, genuinely get it being, I wouldn't say upset because I don't upset at sport and stuff like that, but there was a general like disdain normally. But this was different. It was just a case of well, that's done now. Like whether that's because of everything that's gone on with COVID and stuff, and the fact that we were having a laugh in the pub, obviously with some of our, our mutual mates and stuff, which is good. Um, 
but yeah, it was just a bit flat. It was just like like a non-event in the end, which I suppose actually was exactly what it was. It was a non-event, just a game of rugby being played with no one watching it. Well, I've got two points on the back of the team. The first one is the Razzie thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm the complete opposite end. I thought the Razzie thing made it interesting. What pissed me off after that was the massive overreaction of all of the fans that pissed me off about the Razzie thing. Like, all the South African fans were... Like Razzie's completely innocent. He, he didn't do the was say, "Oh, I, I'm trying to make excuses." And then, I, and then all the Lions fans were like, "He's the devil, this fucking renounced Razzie." And it's like it was a fucking nonsense. It was one video that realistically shouldn't affect the way the game is refereed. Like it did, shouldn't make any difference whatsoever. You can't even say, "Well, I'll put pressure on a ref because of the fact." Well, there's no fucking fans in the stadium. Realistically, there wasn't a hell of a lot of difference. I think it would have made. People talked about people saying about the tour. Well, this is this is the worst tour because of things like this happening, and this doesn't usually happen. Yes, it fucking does. Like twelve years ago, when we were in South Africa, someone had their eye plucked out their fucking head like it was Kill Bill. We had South Africa were uh, taking rugby into disrepute and fined and given fucking people give. Devias was slagging off world rugby straight after the game and then in the week building up to the next like yeah this this happens quite a lot like this, this isn't something new maybe it was just the rugby was a bit more exciting and then we got it to slag off Ronan O'Gara at the end instead which made it a bit more fun but I, I, for me the Razzie thing was massively blown out of proportion I thought it was ridiculous it's what I think the thing is you can't separate the fan reaction from the thing he did because he basically sort of declared open season on the whole thing. Um, you know, as I said, like I would have liked him to have a bit more plausible deniability. I think there were also a couple of things he said, which are just, you've gone a little bit too close to the line here and implied things that evidently we found out afterwards. Every single South African rugby fan believes that they are sort of systemically disadvantaged by things, which, you know, having watched them play Argentina on the weekend and realizing Wait, every game Argentina players refereed in English and they speak Spanish. Um, like they have a much harder time than them. Like this is sort of not South Africa are not the massive victims that they necessarily paint themselves as. Um but for that he, he is well. the Rassi did fan those flames and knew what he was doing. Um but I also just have this thing where I like there were things in it which I disagreed with or wouldn't have done, but I don't necessarily like the kind of it's not in the spirit of the game thing because I just yeah. find the spirit of the game is usually a a way know. of kind of making things boring on purpose. Um, uh, a mythological creature used to fucking... Yeah, like, I know we've mentioned cricket already here, but you know that time, like, in cricket, they're like, oh, this is not in the spirit of the game. It's like, well, if if it's so bad, make a rule saying don't do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> don't just expect people to be nice to each other in professional sport. So like there like there's a part of me that just goes, Well yeah, he was doing what it, like oh he was manipulating the referee. Like, yes. He was trying to win the next game of rugby, therefore he was manipulating the referee. Is he gonna get the book thrown at him because he went over the line? Maybe. But that game's won now, so it worked. But he was manipulating the ref, but then coaches have done that for years. The only yeah. thing that was different was the upfront way in which he was manipulating the like Coaches have always talked about, oh, well, we know that the referee does this or well, we're going to keep an eye on this player. Like Gatlin's one of the worst or best 
depending on your point of view, for doing it. Like, Gav is very, very good at doing plausible deniability. Yeah. You know, this, then, is the, this is the funny thing that, about the whole thing. Like, oh, worse? oh, look what Gatlin said. It's like, no one can prove Gatlin said what is being attributed to him. He probably definitely said it, but yeah. no one can prove it because the one person that has evidence is not going to, it's not going to share it. Um, like, is, isn't this somehow worse to go, somehow Snyder and Durand we've got about, I th- rather than Razzie just going, look, he's got these 27 incidents wrong. Yeah, but I, think a lot of, I think a lot of rugby is like that, where the, the, yeah. the more underhand you are, the more encouraged it is. Well, rugby is just organised cheating as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Especially oh, as a forward. It's after one of the videos I watched on Twitter this morning of a, of a game in Wales, I think it was at the weekend, where you'll know your step, self-step, where some, some games you'll go to and there's like lines one from each side and they and there's sometimes you go and there might be one line out and then you've got like the home team or the away team have got to give a, a linesman. Yeah. <clears throat> and there was a referee, referee standing one side of the scrum the um, line, the official lines is the other side of the field, and it's quite close to the the blind side. And as they've gone down, the, t- the one blind side flanker has full on slapped the other blind side flanker in the face. But no one's going to see it because the linesman is his mate; like he's not going to say anything. And then the the, the scrum breaks up, and I think there's a bit of argy bargy afterwards. But uh, yeah, it's just it's always the same. It's, there's cheating at all levels of rugby, isn't it? So you just get to try and get away with it. The other point I want to touch on for people that you mentioned is Josh Adams. Because apparently this, this was a genuine news story, but I somehow missed it. So I don't know if you know the story and whether I'm touching on old ground. But uh, my friend's father was out uh, Sunday. I went for food yesterday. And was saying that his mother went to a game with them, but they couldn't get tickets together. So I'm guessing this is 2019. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get tickets together. So she said, right, you go with your wife and I'll sit on my own because she never misses a game. Uh, and midway through the game, someone sits next to her and it's Josh Adams. So Josh Adams starts talking to this woman who's in her like, 80s, I would say, asking her about how she is and why she's there. And she says, like, I never never miss a game. And he says, you always come on your own. And she said, no, I come with my son and my daughter-in-law, but we couldn't get tickets together. So she sat over there and I'm sat you. And on the final whistle, Josh Adams went, have you got to be anywhere? And she was like, no. And he was like, stay there. And then brought the team back with him. So yeah. she's met a load of the team and then gave her four tickets for the next home game yeah. all together so they could sit together. Yeah. So if there's any doubt about Josh Adams, what a fucking guy. What a yeah. great guy. And apparently she's uh, she was on the news and she's done an advertising thing with the Principality and they've given her some free shit as well. So, uh, yeah, I just want to think because I know as well Josh Adams got some shit off some people. And, uh, yeah, that's quite a nice story about Josh. And also some people that might be on this pod about a certain incident in February, but never mind, that's forgotten. No, I'll still take the piss out of him for that. That's not going to stop. It was stupid. It was ridiculous. I just, it wasn't stupid doing it even, right? Because we all know that some people were breaking lockdown rules yeah. and he, he kind of invited his mom over and they're on different sides of the room. That's the what was stupid was put on Instagram. Yep. Right? That's that's the act of stupidity right there. And plausible deniability. <laughs> He's straight from the Razzie school yeah. fucking <laughs> giving yourself enough rope to hang yourself. Someone else posts it like I oh, Photoshop. I want that. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to do with me. Yeah. That was recorded before. That was someone else's baby. No one knows. Um 
also, while we're talking about people who've taken quite a bit of shit, I'm going to defend Liam Williams because I've gone full fucking JFK since that <laughs> playing test. Back into the left. I've gone full fucking Oliver Stone's JFK of watching that tape over and over again of that two-on-one. And I think he's right to not give the pass. I think at the time that he could have given the pass, uh, Willie LaRue's in a perfect position so that he can make a tackle on either player. By the time he then holds the pass, Willie LaRue is on him like a ferret up a drain pipe and makes the tackle. By the time he frees his hands, Josh Adams overrun it. Not because he's always, but because he's a little bit flat and then momentum takes him through. So I'm going to absolutely defend Liam Williams for the second time in a fucking year because having been jumped on in the Six Nations when he did absolutely fuck all wrong, which was one of the best moves I've seen at a breakdown of a Simbin for it, I don't think he should have given the pass. Disgust. This was this is a lead law. This should have been a lead law. It should have been a lead law. I would have lost because I'm the only person who thinks it, but seemingly I was the only one who brought it up. No, this there, <clears throat> there are massive strengths to that argument. I agree. I Thank think you. if I win the lead law, what's that no. for? <laughs> um the, 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 I do think that he he should give the pass early, not try and do the two on one and not try and draw him in. Because I think Josh Adams is good enough that he one on one against the who has a chance to go around him. Um, He's on a touchline, man. Yeah, but I, th- I think I think I think there you give the pass early. You give the pass early and you support. You don't try and draw him in because there's cover coming across as well. I think I think he gives I think he gives it to Josh Adams and then supports. I don't think he deserves the criticism he's had. And I think, like you said, they are like you have to give credit to Larue because Larue defends fantastically well. There, he comes up at the perfect time, to, so he he stops Williams and he cuts off the pass as well. Right. Do you know what I, I think, think my that... issue is? Is the biggest my biggest peppy, bar none, right? As a as a, a youth level coach, is players who don't commit a man. But whenever there's a two-on-one, a three-on-two, a three-on-one, whatever it might be, don't commit a man and decide to throw a miss one, right? That's the biggest fucking things for me if you've got an overlap. So I think he does that. He commits the man and he's just a little bit. And it's timing because by the time he hangs on to the pass because he's forced to, he hasn't then got time to throw the pass again because LaRue's fucking... His, his positioning's unbelievable. It's world-class. It is. I need a world class fullback, but it's world class. I also think Ryanak's probably got it covered if, it, if the pass goes. Like I've seen enough times where Ryanak just runs someone down, like, oh, he's going to score a try now. Oh, wait, who's that running? Oh, oh, he's caught him. Oh, and he's dropped yeah. the ball over the line. Like, it's not a given that they score from there, even if the pass goes. And even if he commits Leroux and the pass goes, it's not a given he yeah. scores. And like, there were several other situations where they just, Threw it away, you know, like uh, a certain Mr. Curry in a mall, and uh, Ali Price ran the ball back into his own ruck for some reason, <laughs> you know, under the under the posts. Every single time they kicked to the corner, despite you know the game being very like like that period, there was a few brain dead decisions where they they carried up and carried, and you just got like. It, going the wrong way or going back into a ruck and it wasn't just Ali Price there was numerous places you go that's yeah. not that's not what's on 
I think there's just they got must have got it in their head like now we have to score because somehow this moment is going to go away. Yeah. And I think you know, I've had the discussion with people before about like why do you not take the points like because we don't believe we can win from here if we don't score immediately. It's like but if you don't believe you can win from here if you don't score immediately, um you're probably not going to win. Like if you're reliant on scoring every single time you get the ball, you're not going to win the game. Um so I think it was like a it was interesting as well the how predictable the finish was. It's like, oh, they knew this was gonna happen the whole way. Like this was their plan was to somehow try and break the game to stop this from happening. Because they thought if they just got into a regular game of rugby, they would lose in the exact way they lost. Um because it just seems a lot of decisions they made. I think a lot of decisions made from selecting the squad to the end of the series just felt like this wasn't your plan at the beginning, was it? This wasn't how you were going to do it. This wasn't in this moment. Like, just the way they'd played all three tests, the idea that we're talking about a pass in the tram lines that didn't go as the reason that they lost the series, mm. that's the only time they've got that far out, far away from a rock at all. <laughs> like, how is that the bit that... Like, oh, they mismanaged a two-on-one slightly. How is that the, the moment that is sort of etched in stone as the reason it went... It just... Like, and it's easy to look back and things, especially when you lose a game by three points, to say, well, if we'd scored five points here, we win. But I just think it's, there's too many moving parts to be that upset about that one thing. Oh. And of course, there's, there's no guarantee that if they run that try, and even with a point advantage, South Africa are going to fucking respond at some point. So yeah, they tend to play differently depending on yeah. the score line. They've got some like some fucking good players. It's they they're the world champions. Like of all the teams in the world, like, they were the best. Yeah, but they lose some pool stage games. Apparently, that's the the big <laughs> <Yeah>. weakness. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, so obviously one of the ways that uh, they could have won and if you listen to the way that certain Welsh newspapers are reporting it some players are saying they definitely would have won which isn't what they said but Finn Russell has apparently shot down Gatlin's tactics as big bold headline and what he actually said was yeah we said we'd play a bit more open and then we perhaps didn't play as open as we thought we would and then I came on and tried to open it up a little bit do we think if we had played more open, we would have had more of a chance? Well, that was the plan from the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah, if you look at the I squad, so. I don't think we knew what our plan was. No, I think I think I genuinely think looking at the at the fact of Finn was being mentioned quite a lot. I think Finn would have started tests if he was fit. I think we would have tried to play open open rugby and didn't. But then, do you think like some of the selections didn't? Suggest we were going to play that open. It was a very, it was a very mixed team in that it was kind of between two tactics. I thought with every. Well, this position. is this is the thing. I think that the there there was effectively two coaches. Like I don't I don't know what happens in the team room, but like that quote from before the first test where they the, between the four of them they agreed on seven players. It's like, um, how do you plan? How do you have a game plan? In which, like, you don't know if you have Owen Farrell or Robbie Henshaw in the twelve jersey, or you know, how do you how do you plan for simultaneously having Hogg and Williams in the team? Like, they they do different yeah. they're different players that do different things. You should have made if you had a 
a coherent plan, you would have a coherent vision of selection. And the changes would be minor and would be players who are very, very similar. Um, you know, I can envision a world in which they had a plan and any three of the eights they took on tour could have started at eight because they kind of all fit that plan. But I can't envision a world where, you know, you, ha- you have a plan and simultaneously Ali Price and Connor Murray could start. Like, that doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. <laughs> or, you know, or that Finn Russell and Dan, like Finn Russell and Dan Bega are not that different, but that they're obviously going to be utilised in different ways. You just, and I, you know, I think when you look at the team they picked at the, for the squad, like the squad had big backs and light forwards as if they were trying to play a sort of very, very wide, but quite a little bit like sort of what Andy Farrell's trying to do with Ireland, where you play, you use the whole pitch, but you're using the whole pitch to just batter holes. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to find the weakest point to batter the hole in. Um, and then I think they got to that South Africa A game and realized, oh, wait, we don't actually have the ability, like, these guys are too good to do that. Like, now we're playing against a defense that can defend. Uh, that's not going to work. Um, so I think I think everything changed after that game. And they turned up in the tests and were like, okay, well, what team, what squad do we have? Who can we pick? And how can we play the... You know, they played the very they played the percentages because effectively, in all three games, they were the balance of the ball away from winning. They won one of them, obviously, um, and that's they created a situation where you need a you get a little bit of luck, you win. Whereas I think if they tried to play like very very wide or expansive or you know, intricate attacking rugby they might have just lost by loads in all three games yeah. because that's hard to do and they were weaker up front so they weren't going to have a platform that was going to allow that. I just think... And like, as you said, with when we were talking about the, the rugby championship, they, they thrive off mistakes and the more open you play and the more wide you play, the more likely you are to make those mistakes to give them the opportunities. Yeah. It'd be like Australia on, on Saturday. Yeah. You look good, but you'll concede 57. And that's not really that good. <laughs> I think that people are going the case of, well, you know, if we had played like we did in the third test, then we would have won the series. That that conversation is easier to have if you win the third test. Yeah. And actually one of the tests you won yeah. wasn't playing that style. At all. I think that's the other thing as well. I think that they came out of the first test going, oh, we can win by doing what they do, but slightly better. And South Africa learned during the week to do it better. Yeah, they got a bit fitter. They used their subs a bit better. And they stopped dropping the ball, um, and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly the the strategy the strategy didn't work as well. But I think once you've won a test playing like that, it's very hard to turn around and say, "Okay, this this strategy doesn't work. We've just won, but it's never going to work. We have to do something else." I mean, don't drop the ball is that kind of tactic that only a genius like Razi Erasmus could come up with. This, yeah, it's a fantastic. It's out of the box thinking. Just don't, just don't drop it. Cheslin, when the ball comes, catch it. Is, is that is that out of the box? B O X or B O K S? Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, it yeah. took me. It took me a while. <laughs> the spelling was more difficult than it should have been. I'll be honest. I was adding adding those letters together. There was only four of them, <laughs> but yeah. Um, a few players. 
will be, I think, slightly disappointed. Like, I'm going to, I say a few players, Tigburn. If I was Tigburn, <laughs> as happy as I'd be for going on a Lions test, I'd be, I'd be fucking gutted because I genuinely thought he was the player that could make a difference. I think everybody thought he was a player that could make a difference, apart from the people that chose the squad. Like, he's get picks to go and then doesn't necessarily feature in the games that matter, which is where he could have made a difference. The one thing I will say is seeing the way that we used him in defence, I understand why Laws started over him, but I do think he deserved to play more than what he did. But then a lot of the mistakes in defence came from Courtney Laws' positioning not being good. I mean, it's always it's going to be difficult for me to talk about Courtney Laws being shit because it's quite well known. that I, I don't like Courtney Laws. Um, we've had run-ins in the past. I'm not a fan. He doesn't particularly like me. He particularly doesn't respond to my tweets when I call him out on certain things. <laughs> he responds to everyone else who responds to my response, but not to me. So you've so, got a blossoming friendship, is what you're saying here? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm getting his Giacomo discount code off him anytime soon. That's a shame. I think the thing is, is that someone who clearly is a fan of Courtney Laws is Warren Gatland. Mm. Yeah, he st- he started the first test on the last tour. Yep. At lock, and he started all three tests here, and he had a good 10, 15 minutes in that first test after being quite poor I've... for most of it. After half time, he looked like, and you, I thought he might have been a difference maker, which would have hurt me a lot. Yeah, he suddenly looked like a 125 kilo explosive athlete, like, yeah, which is what he is. Um, but that doesn't seem to happen enough unless Jules Prisons are nearby, um, <laughs> and even less if Scott Williams is. Yeah, so it's you know. I think that's a lot. A lot of it is you kind of get stuck in a thing. Well, one, this worked, and two, I like it. So why would I change it? Um, and you know, the the ten minutes Tyburn had in that first test didn't necessarily scream. Yeah, he's going to change everything. But again, if you come on with ten minutes to go in a test that's you, you're just trying to contain, that you're not going to have the opportunity to do that. I just, I, I think a lot of it is you can look at players and say, "Oh, you, they should have had more time, or they should have been in the in the squad, or and like, ultimately, you know, the coaches are going to pick the people they pick." And I think this is one of the reasons why I'm not so keen on. Not obviously, I don't care that much, but I would. I think it'd be a bit boring if Gatlin got the tour again, because yeah. I think you could circle about 15 players now that would definitely tour because he just likes them. I think they're having a little bit more randomness to it and not necessarily using the same combination. Like, oh, they might lose. Might mean they lose. Again, maybe someone who cares more should be the person struggling off the, oh, they might lose bit. Um, But I think then you get a little bit more of the spice of it, of people coming together and being a bit strange. Um, Whereas this felt like they had a team and they were going to pick this team, except at centre where they didn't know didn't seem to have any idea who was going to play. Um, and that's, you kind of get stuck in it. I'm like, yeah, maybe Tyburn should play more. But I don't think he was helped by being picked as the bench lock. Because, you know, I think if you pick, if, you, if they'd done a 6 2 and he was able to come on in some bit more of a free role, uh, I think it'd have made more impact. 
but you kind of just look at them going, yeah, you're here to cover because you're quite good. And then the last test, they went, oh, yeah, this is silly having you covering the second row. We're going to have a regular second row cover the second row. And it just, it's not what I would have done, but I, at no point was there a re- real serious reason for Gatlin to sit down and go, oh, yeah, I'll change my mind about this whole thing. This Courtney Laws thing is not working for me. I'll go somewhere else. So I think he just kind of snookers himself a little bit. I think that's fair. Um, I tell you, what, I had three players that I thought came out of it. With I, I, I said last week that people were talking about credit in the bank with Gatland, and I said I think Owen Farrell's now living in his overdraft after the fucking first two tests. Um, Maro, I thought was superb. Oh, Take no, Furlong yeah. was was superb again, and I actually thought that Jack Cornyn played very well. He tackled well. The few opportunities he had to carry, he carried well. I thought he had a, a good game all wrong. Other than that, there's not a, a hell of a lot of and 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 Finn Russell, obviously. <coughs> is uh according to Matt Dawson, the best ten since Dan Carter retired now, I think he's uh Dan Carter, yeah. possibly the greatest ten that ever pulled on a jersey after Stephen Jones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, better, obviously Russell's better than Richie Moonga, isn't he? Uh, he's 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 the third best. I'm assuming Stephen Jones is, is number one, so Dan Carter's number two. So that makes Finn Russell number three. I put a deeply sarcastic tweet, and I'm sure you'll both be shocked to know that uh, rugby Twitter didn't respond kindly to that, really? and someone made it about national divides because I mentioned a few Scotsmen in there. The joke was about how people like Matt Dawson didn't even have Finn Russell in their fucking starting lineups before the tests came on. And then suddenly he was literally the, the best greatest thing. 10 in the world. <laughs> if he was that good, why didn't you pick him in your test team, Matt? Yeah, exactly. He's new. He didn't see him before. <laughs> it's, just, it's utterly bizarre. He does the radio commentary. It's all, he can't see things. <laughs> I just it's, it fucking blows my mind how many people and loads of and not just Matt Dawson I, I draw Matt Dawson up because of that I'm going to give Roger a fucking kick in later as well on yeah but like the number of people who did exactly this where they were like oh, didn't pick players in the team and then when they gave oh yeah he's been brilliant he's been brilliant for years I've always said he's a really good player like well where was the praise before the game? Essentially, you've seen 60 minutes of Finn Russell and decided he's the best in the world. When he had, I didn't even think he had a particularly like, that's Finn Russell's best game he's ever played kind of game. Because he's played, he, he had a good game. No, what he did best was... best ever game. What he did was just do something that nobody else had done in the three previous <laughs> games, which was yeah. just, I don't know, just try something. Yeah. And like, I'm not always a great advocate of try something because I've seen a lot of games where the fly has employed to try something and the things they try are mad. Um, I guess Finn has a repetition to do it. Well, this is the thing, is that the last game I saw Finn play before the Lions tour was the top 14 semi-final, which was played in Lille for COVID reasons. So it wasn't under the Disco Dome that they normally play under. Um, And it was tipping it down with rain and it was a very close game. And for some reason, Racing just kept deciding to employ little chips cross fields from inside their own 22 and like 
they were doing it so much that presumably it wasn't just Finn Russell thinking this is the right thing to do. It was a coach had said, Bordeaux a week here. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to, don't worry about the weather. Just dink it over the top of them and hope. Uh, and at some point you'd think like a sort of a stronger character might step on the ball and go, what if we just hoof it downfield and wait for them to drop it? Um, <laughs> but he didn't do that. That never happened. And that kind of is scarred in my memory as like, this was a massive game in the context of his season. And this was the way he went about it. Um, but obviously he's capable of being a little bit more in charge than that. And a little bit, more head on and like Rassing have one sensible man in their entire squad and he joined in March like that's not really their thing um, and you get caught up in the vibe and they probably had champagne at half like there's all sorts of reasons why that it wasn't going to work out for them but you get these things in your head and I think Finn Russell is one of those people that yeah I think people call him the, the, sort of the Rorschach test of rugby where whatever you want to see is the thing you just saw and if you are desperate for some reason for why everyone else is shite and you just saw Finn Russell come on and suddenly the game spring into life, then it's obviously him. And the fact that somehow the rest of the team also decide to wake up at this one moment uh, is... Might, it might be, his, might be his doing. It might also just be like somehow the vibes changed and they decided to play well for about 15 minutes. But I think people have extrapolated a lot out of this. And really, it was just the same Finn Russell we've seen before, who is sometimes brilliant, usually pretty good, um, and does things that are quite aesthetically pleasing. Which I guess that's something. It's entertainment. But I, I wouldn't say he's the best player, the best fly half to have ever played the game or whatever. The... Yeah, I, I, I love it, but I think he, he gets an unfair rap from some people. And then he's overhyped by other people. When yeah. what he is, is just he's just a really good rugby player. Yeah, but that's yeah. not allowed. Yeah, you've either <laughs> got to be of... you've either got to be not worth having the jersey, or the greatest thing ever. Those are the only two choices. So, so which is it? <laughs> and that's a poll that we'll put up. <laughs> which <Yeah>. is it? <laughs> greatest of all time, or should be unemployed. <laughs> right, greatest of all time. Unemployed. <laughs> well, that's going up on Twitter as soon as we finish recording. And we'll find out what else So final bit on the Lions. Paul, I think you've got a, a segment that you want to do. I have got a segment I want to do, yeah. I might actually um, <clears throat> carry this on going forward, actually, because I reckon it'll be quite fun doing this occasionally. Might have, we might have to start paying the uh, person who's provided this to us. But in homage to one of our friends who's seen a lot of Lions players this week on her travels in and around Jersey, um, <clears throat> we have a segment that was stolen a little bit from um, something Rory mentioned this morning to us. So this is the gospel according to Patricia Vieira. <laughs> that feels like it needs... I'll, I'll put something in there. I'll put something in there. Could you just say it again? So, this is the gospel according to Patricia Vieira. Fantastic. I'll put something in. So, <clears throat> Patricia has seen some of the Lions guys on uh, Jersey since they've come back. And while she's gone about her travels, she's witnessed a few of the lads, like on holiday, Toby Falatelli and Williams, etc., Wynne Jones, Sam Simmons. Um, <clears throat> but I picked up four in particular. 
and I've asked her to give us a little bit of a skit of just basically her thoughts and her impressions of them um, when she's seen them on the island. So um, the four players we've got are... So we do want to do one at a time? I'm going to name the players and then I'm going to tell you what... So the, the players that she's seen are Adam Beard. Yeah. She has seen... Well, the ones I picked out, Hamish Watson. Everyone's favourite English lock stroke flank uh, Courtney Laws. And the Sheriff Ken Owens. So the saw- example I'm going to give you, as you all know, she described Ken Owens as... Actually, can I just say, because I've been busy this week, I don't know. So I don't know how she's described these players. So do you want me to, do you want me to have a, a little guess? No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm, going to, I'm just going to give you the example of Ken. And, and then the idea is I want you two to both describe to me how you think she's described the other three. Right, okay. Because okay, I've so, written down a guess for Ken Owens. So Ken Owens, <clears throat> she's described him simply, I saw Ken Owens this morning and based on nothing except walking past him near the cinema, he seems like a very nice man. Nice, I think that's very fair. Simple, to the point, describes Ken to a T. So I would like from both of you, and we'll go through player one player at a time, um, starting with Adam Beard, how you think she's described the other three players. So Hamish Watson, Courtney Laws, and we'll start with Adam Beard. Well, I wrote down for Ken Owens first of all, because I thought you were going to ask us all four. So I wrote down um, a Chubby Woody, and then I realised that was two names for an erection. So I quickly, <laughs> quickly crossed that out. <laughs> And I just put godlike specimen. So I, 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 I will take his, though. I think he, he does seem like a lovely man. He seems like a great guy. Yeah. Uh, so we go first, Adam Beard. Adam Beard. Um, I'm going to say, like, like plug from Bar Street Kids, but with a gym membership. Okay. <laughs> so, so Patricia is, like, obviously doesn't really work on a, a audio format, but she's very small. Correct. Um, and Adam Beard is renowned for his verticality. Correct. So, um, you might be on the right line here, Rory. Yeah. So I'm thinking, obviously, incredibly tall, like incomprehensibly tall. Uh, possibly blocks the sun, is is what I'm going with. Uh, um, you know, like in that episode when Mr. Burns decides to uh, get rid of the sun. Um, but at they the same time, I think he's probably quite a sweet soul. So, like. Massive, but in a in a in a in a non-threatening way, like like my giant. I don't know that reference. It's about a giant. It's quite nice, <laughs> <laughs> like the BFG. Maybe like the Iron Giant, even you know. Yeah. Um, well, she actually described him as very very tall. I don't even think I was in his eye line. There we go. In so that's, pretty I mean, that, that's, that's that's pretty much bang on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he not much. only described Adam Beard correctly, he's described Patricia correctly as well. <laughs> bang on. Um, and then we'll go with Courtney Laws next. So, Rory, your your opinion? Um, okay. The problem is that I uh, I'm privy to some of this information on account mm-hmm. of the fact that I, sh- I share a lot of images of the frogs that live in my house uh, with Patricia. Um, uh, so Courtney Laws I that's think... the best line that, that's I'm, look, I've got several frogs in my house and they're all called Gregory um, <laughs> but uh, uh, so I think Courtney Laws obviously is my my recollection is that he was dressed as if he was in pyjamas uh, so I think uh, probably not the most 
aware of his surroundings, man. Um, but again, obviously, we're talking about a six foot seven, uh, what, nearly twenty stone man. Yeah. Uh, so again, incredibly huge, but uh, probably a little bit like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere near him. He doesn't seem like he knows where he is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I everything else I'm thinking is libelous, so I don't want to say anymore. Uh, I, I I've got no money for so if it's libelous, sue me, bitch. Um, I put slightly scary Jack clad dickhead. But I know he wasn't wearing Jackable because I, as Roy, I've seen the picture and I know he wasn't wearing Jackable because I searched Jackable to see if it was on there. <laughs> and he was wearing a turtleneck and the, the, it, there's only one turtleneck and it was black and his was green. So His neck is too long for a turtleneck. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't think they sell giraffe neck tops. <laughs> um. So how she described Courtney Laws was so. I saw Courtney Laws twice in the same day. My only impression of him is that he's the biggest human I've ever seen. I think I think there's a problem with this segment, Ryan. Which is that um <laughs> Patricia has seen a lot of international rugby players who um are renowned for being large men. Yep. And uh she's quite small. Yep. So therefore Every every description of every person other than Ken Owens is going to be this is a very large man. Well, I, I disagree because the next one is Amish Watson, and yep. based on everything I've read in the English press, I'm going to say he's, he's too small for Test rugby, virtually a borrower. Oh no, he's a borrower. I've seen that. <laughs> he's, he's... If you see the Miyazaki version of uh, uh, Arietti, he's in that film. I'm sure. But knowing Patricia and knowing how good her rugby knowledge is, and she will have said the exact opposite of what I just said, and she's probably said, "Like fuck, is he too small for Test rugby? He's fucking massive." No, I will. I will just say, what she's described him is nothing to do with his height or size or nothing. Oh, so he's Uh, not a perfect cube of mullet? Nope. He's not got a mullet anymore. Disastrous. Uh, I think. Sunburned, I think, is what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> he's a Scotsman who's just spent yeah. two months in South Africa, so I think that's a fairly safe Yeah, bet. sunburned is, is definitely there. Um, and probably a little bit worse for wear, especially if it was in the morning. Yeah. I'd stop just describing Scotsman. That's not fair. <laughs> but he is a, he's the only Scotsman in this list. Sunburned and hangover. You've just described a Scotsman who's just come back from a two-month holiday. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> I've given you mine. Too small for test rugby. Virtually a borrower. Okay, so she said, Hamish Watson was lovely. I said hi to him, and then he stopped to pet, pet a dog. Oh, okay, that is nice. Not her dog, though, just a dog. A dog, yeah. So he was lovely, even though he totally ignored her in fear of a dog. <laughs> However, can I just say, to add context to that video, uh, to that um, to that comment, she also told us previously that that dog was a dog that he tripped over and then came back and said apologies to him and <laughs> petted it. So that's why he petted the dog. Look, if you said sorry, I'm I'm happy to correct to let that go. Yeah, as long as the dog didn't trip over him and he turned him above the horizontal, and just you know, but we all know it's not a yellow card, so it's fine. <laughs> See, this would be really different if I was doing this because I, on my holiday, also saw an international rugby player, and my main comment on it was he was surprisingly small. Was it Amish Watson? No, it was Alan Alatar. No, not not Alan Alatar. Sorry, Michael Alatar. <laughs> Oh. He was, you know, a, a international tight head prop. And I looked at him and went, he's not very I could, big. I could take him. <laughs> probably could. I mean, I, I've been up since four, so probably not. But <laughs> And also he had a toddler with him. 
And I thought that would be a bit ugly. You could definitely take them. <laughs> you definitely old scrubbage the toddler, I reckon. It was funny as well because I, I sort of said hi, like, oh yeah, I know who you are, and like, and then he asked where I was going. I'm like, Zurich. Uh, it's like, oh, what's there? It's like, I don't know. It's just a city, isn't it? It's just, it's, <laughs> it's just what's in Zurich. I don't, I don't know, but they used to they used to sponsor the Lions or something. So, I... <laughs> lots lots of banks. Yeah. Um, is that so? That's the end of your. Can you? Yeah, because generalised the, the the other ones that she saw was just going around on on the island with their families and just enjoying the the, the uh, weather and stuff there. Obviously, while they're having to stay out the UK for their um, quarantine reasons and so on. But um, no, well, quite wholesome, I think. But they could have done a Louis Resummit and got to Monaco with his mum. And his is brother that, and his dad. Yeah. How it works, you have to go to like some sort of tax haven to get rid of the COVID. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what I did, obviously. I went on holiday to Switzerland because they would let, yeah. they'd let me without, without... No tax, no... Uh, perhaps we're on to something. Perhaps, perhaps COVID only exists in places with... Taxes. Is the Cayman Islands on the green list? <laughs> well, the, I, I think we've uncovered we've uncovered some sort of conspiracy here. The only thing I will say is, from the list of players that she has seen, um, I'm so very surprised that Sam Simmons, Johnny Hill, and Stuart Hogg and Nov haven't gone back straight back to Exeter because we know COVID doesn't exist in Exeter. So, yeah, COVID doesn't, doesn't exist, but border security does. <laughs> Well, also, what you've got to remember is that uh, on Jersey, they haven't got any 5G yet. Oh, right, so okay. it's the safest place for them to be. Yeah. Have they got tin hats as well there or not? They've got the tunnels, haven't they? Yeah, they've got foil. <laughs> Make their own tin hats out of foil. Yeah. DIY tin hat. Um, so that's the that's end, of, the the end gospel. of potentially the first ever gospel according to Patricia Fear. Well, not potentially. It definitely is the first ever gospel. No, I might just like randomly occasionally ask Patricia just to give me an opinion of somebody, even if she hasn't met them or seen them. Why not spread it out to just all your friends? Just, just like this week, the gospel according to someone else. I'm just reading out their WhatsApp messages. They've been in Costa today. The Frostina machine. <laughs> open. How, yeah, how, how did they describe a caramel latte? No, <laughs> you say that Frosty Frostino's in Costa. We have an issue recently because our one doesn't have, and apparently Costa as a company have run out of chocolate chips. So having mm. a mint chocolate chip Frostino does not exist. And, and but before when I said we've hit the lowest point ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Also, didn't Frostino play second row for Benetton? <laughs> With Quentin Gelden has. Shall we leave that behind and yep. move quickly on to winners and wonders? Yep. <laughs> um, you sure you don't want to discuss a global frappuccino shortly? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Have you not got another? Have you not got another cricket tour planned? No, <laughs> not for another year anyway. I'll have the for... chips back by then. <laughs> Uh, oh, wanker. Well, I think I already know yours, so we'll start with you. Let's have your wanker. Yeah, my wanker of the week is the Archbishop of York. <laughs> so, see, from possibly the worst quote we've ever had on this podcast to one of the best with my wanker of this week is the Archbishop of York. That's never been It was it my big wanker of the week as well. <laughs> Saving it up. 
Uh, Rory, your your bike of the week. I just generally hate TMOs. I know this is not a new thing, <laughs> but I, I'm sure I can't even. Remember. I like I feel like in my brain. Actually, no, I've got a better one because uh, I feel like in my brain that uh, Afaleli Fatsi had a try disallowed, and I was like, no, that was too nice. Should count. <laughs> Should count. Too, this try was too fun. Let it happen. But uh, Marcus Kremer, who tried to tried to punch Kermis Rynax uh, lights out, um, yes. but missed and effectively uh, did a Hadouken from Street Fighter and just stacked it on the ground. <laughs> it, it was proper uh, how they thought drunk people fought in films in the 40s. Yeah, have you ever seen the Jackie Chan film, Drunken Boxing? Have you seen Drunken Boxing, the Jackie Chan film? <laughs> yes. That's what Marcus Crabbe was so, doing. It's a big swing and a miss and fall flat on your face. It's never happened in real life before. He's not, he, he's just not Thomas Lavanini. Lavanini would have connected. No doubt uh, in my mind. I mean, no one's Thomas Lavanini and everyone else who plays second row at the international level can be grateful that no one else is Thomas Lafley. <laughs> so that they, they remain concussion-free and with all their eyeballs. Because, yeah. I, I, Lavanini's one of those ones who he's beyond shithouse level. Like, I think he, he's a proper nasty bastard. But I, I think he's just him. lazy, doesn't want to play any rugby. I, but I, I can't help but love him. I, I, there's something about Lavanini straightening players out <laughs> still go oh but he's think, fun isn't I he? think it's just that he's never learned <laughs> yeah like, at the start of his career getting a, a yellow card every game is funny but when you're like 50 caps in and it's still like Lavanini's on yellow card imminent it's uh it's you know it loses its uh it's luster I, I, I still I still love Lavanini I hope nothing bad comes out he feels what, like worse than the fact that he just is pathologically obsessed with smashing people's heads in <laughs> With that, I can live with that. He's, he's a lovable rogue. Channels that energy. He's Argentina's rugby's version of the craze. Like you know, he's a horrible guy, but there's something lovable about him. But if you find find out he's the civilian version of the craze as well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's it. I'm done. <laughs> uh, my wankers for this week are uh, Matt Dawson because he done my fucking head in, and then it got me in trouble because he done my head in so much I didn't. Weirdly right. Uh, and Ronan O'Gara, because his comments after the third test, throwing Liam Williams under the bus, was totally shit. Like, I get it. You're fucked up majorly at the end of 2009. You're living in a travel lodge, seemingly, trying to talk to people through Zoom. <laughs> like, I, I get that things are not going great, Rog. But I thought it was a bit shit to go, well, there was two major moments. One was the 40 minutes of the second test and the other one was Liam Williams. And you go, like, fucking hell. And that's to, to name one player that you thought cost a team a series was totally That's shit. a punditry problem, though, isn't it? That, like, they're Ron asked Ogara. Be... No, well, just, just like... like I, I don't want to defend Ron Nogara. I'm, I'm happy to defend 2009 Ron Nogara in the... Yeah. In the modern day, he wouldn't have been on the field because he was concussed beyond beyond belief. Um, but the modern version of Ogar, it's like you get someone on TV and you ask them to make a comment. It's, you can't. There's not the time and the space and the will to say anything intelligent. It's just like, okay, your team's lost. Blame someone. And that's why you get people saying, "Oh, they weren't passionate enough." It's like, why? Because anything else would take too long and think too. I have to think too much. So I'm just going to say they need to be more passionate. 
Maybe uh, as well, he would have be able to explain himself further if they didn't have 19 pundits to ask their opinion of. 19 that's... pundits and a referee. <laughs> I watched the, um, due to legal loopholes in the in the world, uh, I was watching this African feed for most of the games, um, and they <laughs> had this... Uh, they would go to half time. They would just there would be Jerry Gusket and Jerry Flannery in a cupboard, and they would cut to them. And Jerry Gusket's opening line was almost always, "I'm quite bored," or something along those lines. Just rambling about drop goals. Just cut back. They got Brayton Pulse and John Smith in off in the studio. They can talk about this. They seem interested. Just, I, I don't know why they thought because it was a, they had to just fit as many people on screen at, at any one time that they could. We, Do you think they had budget left over? Yeah, I'd like. I don't know why Grill. We Grill. Oh, fuck sake. I don't know why Will Greenwood was or Grill Greenwood. If you want to say it, was the full stop. I don't know why his hair looks like that. I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. With you're regards. asking a lot of questions here that have no answer. Yeah, I. It was just I hated the coverage. Full stop. That didn't help. I thought that. The coverage was horrific. The one bit I couldn't understand throughout the whole of the tour was doing that piece to camera where he's at what's called the sky cart with Brian Habana and Brian Habana is in South Africa and it's all being done by green screen because it just looked horrendous. They were trying to play it as though they were both standing either side and looking at the sky cart and Will's pressing buttons and stuff. And it's like, no, no, we know that Brian Habana is in the stadium in South Africa because you cut to him earlier talking to Sarah. That you don't need to make us think that he's in the studio. And what you are describing here, allegedly, I do not know for sure, but I'm legally speaking, do not know this, is a production where they were desperately trying not to make a profit, but had too big a budget. <laughs> <laughs> like when they make Hollywood films and they've got to make sure that if they make too much of a profit, suddenly they've got to pay that money back out. Yeah, it's some like whatever tax tax incentive they were trying to uh, meet the criteria for, they were like. Okay, we got to do, got to have a green screen. Why? Because if we have the green screen, we don't make a profit, and that's the key. Like, just, <laughs> just throw as much money at your mates as you can and get out of there. I don't know. It's allegedly again. But if that's not... the case, then then pay for Ronan O'Gara to fly out, or at least pay for a good broadband for him and a decent yeah. decent background. Let him work out which wall is the one. <laughs> there was. Um... During the 94 World Cup, the press went into Jack Charlton's uh, hotel room because he had cut a deal with Guinness. So he had a keg of Guinness in his hotel room as long as he could mention them as many times as possible. And the press came in. He he asked them to come to his hotel room, basically, so he could have a photo of him in front of the pumps as his final, look, well, I'm advertising this. And he had his pants hung up behind him on clothes pegs, and I think that was the next step for Ronan O'Gar. We were one step away from Roger's kecks. <laughs> Do they have that thing? I don't know if you ever watched like Eurosports tennis coverage where they kind of green screen the person in to make it look like they're in the room. So they have a studio and they have yeah. an, someone interviewing someone, and then like out of the floor emerges Novak Djokovic. <laughs> yeah, and when I first seen it, I thought oh, that's just brilliant. And then I thought, that oh, was pointless. Yeah. That's what that is. We just, all know he's not really there. It doesn't look right. Yeah. Just just like talk to them the way everyone else used to do this. Yeah. I'd, at least though, it's not Kanye West paying for his, you know, his wife's father to come back from the dead so he can praise Kanye West. 
is one of the creepiest and most bizarre videos I've ever seen. Um, we'll move quickly on to our winners. Uh, who's your winners this week, Will? Um, I got two because I think it's probably more the week that I missed that they were more um, yeah. out there in the world, I think. But um, mine are Ruby Tui and uh, Ilona Ma. Um, both social media stars in the Olympics, both great, um, both did fantastically well as well with their, their teams in the Olympics, but brought, I think, a different atmosphere to, to it as well, like with using platforms like TikTok and um, Instagram and stuff to obviously put videos out and stuff daily of what they were doing and so on. Um, and then I think Ruby Tui since isn't it got even more sort of um, viral, I think she's been sort of tweeted by Snoop Dogg and stuff, and he put it on one of his vid- on his TV program that he was on the other day. They were dancing. Yeah, Snoop Dogg was dancing. Yeah, so um, yeah, Ruby Tui and Ilona Ma are my my winners for this week. Well, if you had listened to the full podcast last week, you would know that they were my winners for last week. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 they just I've keep listened, winning. I've listened to uh, half of it. Yeah, not the other half. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna win next week as well. <laughs> you just keep going. Yeah. We're gonna change it to uh, the, the Ruby Two Year Wankers. <laughs> uh, who's yours, Rory? Um, Finn Russell's accountants. If rumours are to be believed, that he's nice. moving to the Green Rockets for <laughs> all the yen in the world. I mean, the Green Rockets play in Disneyland as well, so you could get a lot of mileage out of that. I think they've got. Is that the the Disneyland that's got Lego in it? I mean, I think it's like you think of Legoland. <laughs> uh, sorry, is this the Disney? I got, I got excited. Is this the Disney that's got Mario in it? I think that's a separate theme park. Is it really? Yeah, I'm not sure that's part of Tokyo Disney. I, I'm, I've obviously lost all concept of what a theme park is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, they opened it during a global pandemic, which is probably not the best way to uh, do that. Generally, uh, I don't think I would. I don't think I would have made it by yet anyway. But so. He's rumoured to be the highest paid player in the world um, to play alongside such luminaries as Alex Good and... Jack Lamb. Uh, yeah, Jack Lamb. <laughs> and Andrew Kellaway, scorer of one try this weekend. <laughs> um, I, I, I've missed that news. So I've had a, a bit of a busy week. I mean, it's only a rumour, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Probably just end up getting even more money from those Peruvians. I was going to say, I would have thought that someone playing at Rossi Metal, you don't particularly need to go to Japan for the mini. I would Less eye gouging in Japan. That is true. That is true. I was going to say, what's, what's the better cuisine? Apparently, Japanese or French? Apparently he's grown up as a Green Rocket fan. Apparently he's, like, he's always wanted to play for them since a kid. His boyhood dream was to play for them. <laughs> he had an NEC photocopier when he was a Yeah, star. that's it, yeah. When Just, when does the um, the Japanese top league start? Do we know? It's happened already this year, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, okay, but like, when's the next one? Because the, I'd like to find what, out. Was that the continuation of the the one before? They changed they, the format every year. Yeah, but they stopped the one early because of cocaine, didn't they? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> this I know a lot of the things I say. January. So up. <laughs> it's January. January. Uh, we've got a while then. We've got a while. Yeah, that that gives um, Hadley Parks a couple of games to get fit, Stephanie, to make this make the to, to get ready for the Six Nations. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully as well, COVID will be gone by then, so we won't have to self isolate, so we'll yeah. be fine. That's it. 
Um, whether he goes to Japan or not, Finn Russell is my winner of the week. And the reason that Finn Russell is my winner of the week isn't because of anything he did while the game was going on. It was what he did for like the last second before the whistle went, where he pretended he was going to charge the kick down. <laughs> That's more his thing goes to kick it. And then just has a massive cut with a, a big laugh and a big smile on his face. And then is clearly telling jokes to Josh Adams and someone else who I can't remember who it was. I think. Because to go to South Africa on the back of everything that's happened and all the fans having to go with each other and the Razzie thing and world rugby and the game and to just fucking enjoy rugby like he clearly was at that level, amazing. I love him. I love his attitude towards the game. I love his attitude towards life. I fucking love Finn Russell. So regardless of how good a player he is, I love him. So he's my winner of the week because everyone should be playing rugby like that. Everyone should be enjoying the game. Even when you've got people trying to stamp on your fucking head. I, you, people, it's easy to forget why you start playing. Like we all start playing rugby to enjoy. We don't play rugby. Most of us don't think we're going to get to an elite level. Most of us don't start playing so we can play. Like we play because we want to play sport. And we want to enjoy it. And so for him to, to still be clearly enjoying it, despite losing a Lions test series, what might be the only one he's ever involved with? Fucking brilliant. I love him. But we all know that there's a reason for that, don't we? Because his accountant had rung him before kickoff and told him no, he's, 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 he's the two green rockets. He's the best fly half in the world since Dan Carter. That's the reason why he's doing that. <laughs> That's yeah. why he's winner of the week. Yeah, that's why he's with that. That's why the Green Rockets used before they signed a big fat check. <laughs> so, you, where you just made you just said about you, we're going to change the name to Ruby Tui and Wankers. Surely it should be the Finners and Wankers going forward now. Oh, Jesus, you have to, end it on a, have to end it on a low. <laughs> Always, it's like the third test ending on a low. Yeah, Francois, though. Oh, did you see Wilco Lowe on uh, Saturday? He, he managed, <laughs> managed, to, managed to defend them all on his own. I missed It was that. just him against like three or four forwards. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not moving. <laughs> I see very limited highlights of uh, of most of the games. I say most of the games, the two fucking games, but of both of the games. But uh, you no, just see what one. gifts I, get, I send you. Is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just look back through people's, people's timelines that they knew would have been talking about the game. <laughs> So, on that note, on a low followed by a low followed by a low. <laughs> I'd like to thank, higher, uh, I'd like to thank Ryan Worley for coming back after his cricket tour to make some fantastic cricket predictions today before the podcast. Cheers, Wall. Yeah. And thank you, Rory, for coming on. It's been a joy having you as it always is. All right. Uh, hopefully, we can get Ryan one of them frostinos soon. <laughs> I mean, if anything, it's, that's the worst thing that's happened over the past 18 months. Yeah. Is the greatest Fosterino shortage. <laughs> it is, because in fact, it's happened twice. You can't say it is. <laughs> it is. Hundreds of thousands of people have died, Ryan. We've had three lockdowns and you're worried about two shortages of Frostinos. No, but, no, but, but the reason why it's so... so <laughs> no, don't try and no, defend no, it this. Is. But the reason why it's so stupid, and it's like, I had to, to laugh at the woman the other day, is the fact that, the reason why they don't, they haven't got it in like the three local ones to me, is because they've run out of cost of Costa ch- chocolate chips. Now, surely Costa chocolate chips are the same as 
other chocolate chips in the supermarket and you can just go and buy them. Yeah, but but they've stopped, but they've sell it, stopped selling the mint choc chip Frostinos in the three local ones because they can't get the cost the, the Costa chocolate chips. Yeah, but you know, if Costa run out of coffee, they wouldn't just go out and get Nescafe and see if you one of them. Like they've got they've got suppliers that they use. But surely no one. I don't think you taste... understand how, how this works. No one's going to taste the difference. No, but they'll be—they're legally responsible for what what they put in their food. Yeah. So if they've set up their ingredient, I don't know why I'm explaining <laughs> um, takeaway food supply chains. This is like the goodbye here, like but, Marion doing doing buffets for for weddings, like in your local pub. Yeah. This is Costa. They're big. They're quite big. I don't know if you realise. Like they're quite a big brand. And thank you all for being with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next week to discuss <laughs> how does McDonald's work? <laughs> what happens if McDonald's run out of burgers? <laughs> Just nip a scenes, please, boys. Ta-da. Sports Social Podcast Network.